Welcome to the Omni Gamers Club podcast. This is Mark Uesa. And this is Daniel Winter. How are you doing, Mark, on this fine fall day? Yeah, I'm doing fairly well. I had a big birthday party for my youngest, so that was a lot to get over. And I don't know, there's been a bunch of sickness going around. Uh-huh, and, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it's a hectic sort of thing. Today I was just recovering, really. It's a weekend. Yeah, I, I've, I'm, I'm in a similar boat here with stuck between uh, coming coming up to shucks it wasn't the the con crud that got me it was my daughter's daycare she's been done a very good job of collecting every disease that comes through and of course she's also very good with sharing so it's been, been a bit of a blur these last couple of weeks yeah isn't that always the way it's like i've done as much covid tests rapid tests as i've ever done in the within <laughs> just this last week and i i posted negative on each and every one so like two or three of them at least but uh, still felt really gross what can you say? Yep. Back to school. <laughs> oh, well, well uh, hopefully that was, has been some time for gaming in between uh, bouts of sickness there. Yeah, a bit. Uh, mostly video games as usual, but my oldest is getting uh, getting serious about D&D. So we're Ooh. sort of cooking up a, a D&D book buying plan or strategy. So it's been fun talking to them about that and strategizing a bit. It's nice to see them excited. Mostly to play with their friends, but um, also, you know, I get some fringe benefits too. Do, do you think you'll be GMing or will he be GMing for his friends? Yeah, most likely, probably both. Like I, I have GMed, uh, I have GMed games in the past, primarily not D and D actually, more games like Shadowrun and Star Trek RPGs. But it, as, as you know, DMs are always the hardest to find, so uh, <laughs> someone has to fit in that role. So it's not, I'm not used to it. But they uh, seem interested. My oldest seems interested. So I'm happy to encourage them to do that. It's, that's the duty of parenthood, I guess. <laughs> it's true. It's the raising raising up the next generation right. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Well, hope how that about, goes how about yourself? I bet you have had some fun games that you've been playing of late. Yes. Well, I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll save the discussion of what I played at Shucks for a little later. But I, unfortunately, I have had to cancel uh, several game plans in the meantime between bouts of illness. But I have managed to get a couple of games in. Since it's the, the spooky season, I had a game show up unexpectedly that is called Ghosts Like Candy 2. Now, this is that 2 that is T-O-O, but it is something of a sequel. It's based on an older game that was just called Ghosts Like Candy. I believe it was a Kickstarter about 2016. And this is by Denny Devine, who I know uh, as the designer of uh, Sprawlopolis and Acropolis and these other button yeah, shy games. Yeah, button shy games, yeah. Yeah. And this is, I mean, looking at the box, I, I was admittedly a little dismissive at first glance. It's a very, uh, it looks like very kid-friendly game uh cartoony art style uh with with you know cartoon ghosts and scaring kids in co- costumes kids in, in costumes being like oh it's, it's star um space wars and space trek and like very rote references i should say but i uh, i gave it a, a reading through the rule book is one of those games that makes you sit back and think oh that's actually pretty clever uh, and had me excited to jump in, and it's yeah, it's a fun little game. You basically you have a hand of cards that's one to nine. Uh, like each each player has a, a hand of cards that go from one to nine. Uh, you you will, you will play those sort of as a blind bid, 
uh, in, to decide the order in which you haunt the various children and steal their candy. So there's both the the element of so, so, so the, 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 that blind um, bid and try and bluff your opponents and see, think, try and figure out what they're going to play, and the, that simultaneous reveal is always a, a great moment. Uh, but then there's these kids. There's like six kids out, and they all have about a hundred, just over a hundred kids in the game that all have unique abilities that sort of interact in fun ways. Like one might you're moving candy from one to another, or you're playing a little mini game, uh, and some will give you points and will take away points. So there's, there's a lot, really, a lot of interaction in this game, uh, and some clever ways of of moving things around. And uh, yeah, it's a I, I had a lot of fun, even just at two players. So I imagine it's it's would sing at more players. <laughs> it goes up to six. Nice, yeah, that sounds interesting. It's it's sort of hard to envision what what's all involved there uh, because it sounds like there's lots of moving pieces. But uh, you know, it does sound intriguing. Yeah, no, I'm, I it's I, I'm, I'm looking to play it more over the over the holiday season, uh, the the Halloween season that is. Uh, so maybe, hopefully we can get in a game before uh, before then. But I, I keep an eye on my, on my social media. I've just posted, well, I just will be posting some cookies I made to go along with this game. Very nice. Speaking of the spooky season, I'm going to spend like exactly 30 seconds talking about a game that I booted up and I just uh, <laughs> played for about two and a half minutes and I instantly inst- uninstalled. It's called uh, Scorn. I, I, might... I thought that might be coming. <laughs> yeah, you might have heard the buzz about it. It's it's on Xbox Game Pass and it's a very, very distinctive art style to this game. I listened to a interview with one of the art producers on it. It's got very H.R. Giger inspired kind of gross organic body horror aesthetic uh, to it. Although I don't know if it's strictly a horror game. (laughs) I had it installed for a little while now because it's been out for a bit or I pre-installed it and then I just booted it up last night I was just not feeling it, you know. Just not feeling it. I was... I had a feeling for something else, so I just, you know, convinced myself, I don't need this right now. I don't need to torture myself. I don't need to prove myself to anyone. <laughs> uh, I don't need a scary game for this season. In fact, I should probably just install that Alien Isolation game or whatever Ooh. if I want something really that, that is a favorite. spooky that way. <laughs> uh, but Scorn is a big old uh, a big old no for nope from this guy. Well, I've actually played a couple of hours of Scorn. Uh, I was also looking for something something to uh, wet my my horror palette there, and yeah, I, I went in not knowing much about it. I'd seen a couple of screenshots, and so I had an idea of the aesthetic, but not of the gameplay. Like, is this a, a Doom shooter? Is it a, a Resident Evil survival horror? I was expecting something along those lines. Uh, it's actually more of uh, Giga's Mist, <laughs> basically right. a uh, exploration puzzle game surprisingly there is i'm assuming there might be some combat at some point the the controller lists various weapon buttons that i have not really used yet uh but yeah there's a lot of wandering around and just i mean interacting with things i wouldn't even say puzzles it's mostly just pressing buttons in the right order to activate doors it, it's not particularly engaging puzzles i will say uh, and and speaking of torture i mean it's not just torturous on you like 
a slight spoilers. You have to torture other beings. That left me very uncomfortable, I will say. Right. Uh, yeah, and it's it's all a little bit gratuitous and slow. Like beautiful to look at. Obviously, I've seen various analogies saying like they hired t- ten uh, artists for every one actual game designer on on this. So they, they made sure every frame was a painting, but not that what you're actually doing is is fun to play. Uh, I, I might keep poking at it. Just it, I think it's short enough that I'm I'm curious to see where it goes. But uh, yeah, it's definitely not everyone's cup of tea. Right. I, I know that you're a big horror fan, but and I'm sure fans of horror and fans of the Alien movie series will be uh, interested in this one for sure. Possibly. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's on Game Pass, so, so check it out, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Any other games you've been up to? Uh, one other board game I wanted to shout out. Something I picked up at Shucks, but I didn't play there, was my copy of keystone north america from rose gauntlet games this is their first first game for from a new publisher though, though uh, isaac vega over there is uh, an old hat in the industry obviously this was a kickstarter game so this i i, I picked up my my backer copy personally <laughs> from shucks and uh, have been playing that a lot it's it's very reminiscent of something like Calico or those sort of abstract games where it's basically just forming patterns, um, both matching symbols in, in this case represented by like habitats, the different habitats in which animals might reside. You're, you're trying to form groups of, of animals that have the same habitat and also numbers. Each animal has a, has a number on it, which seems a little arbitrary, whether it's, whether an animal is one through five, so it is a very abstract puzzle. You're forming both chains of, of numbers and groups of habitats simultaneously. So the theme is a little bit, you might say, painted on, I guess. But it's it's a very fun game. And one of this, this, this genre that I'm really starting to realize is a favorite, where it's a simple rule set, but sort of the, the scoring objectives sort of overlap in such a way that, that really create this dense decision space of trying to prioritize what, what you're going to focus on and yeah this is it's a, it's a great example of that I've, I've mostly just played it solo to be honest as a, as a, as a little uh, campaign booklet to work through that sort of change the rules up a little bit game by game or change the focus at least uh with a few envelopes of other animals i'm excited to, to open up so yeah um, I'm, in, I'm enjoying that a lot so far I guess there's some thematic overlap with some other games like Cascadia or even yes. that Ecos that we were playing the other day of yeah. the, you know, ecology and the animal species and their compatibility. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued by that one as well. Isaac Vega is the designer of one of my favorite games. It's, uh, it's a card game. Do you know the one I'm talking about from no. Flat Hat Games? Oh, Ashes. Probably. Ashes. Oh, yeah. I love, love me some Ashes. I've not tried uh, that one yet. Yeah, I should find my set of that uh, because the the you don't need to deck build at all. It's like the faction mm. decks are really distinctive, asymmetrical. asymmetrical um, absolutely, they're decks, all yeah. very unique. You and I should cover that uh, soon because I think you like absolutely. card games as well. Yeah, I think I mentioned to you that I uh, went hard on the first two Yakuza games a while back. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Yakuza uh, Kiwami and Kiwami Two, which are sort of like remastered remasters they're like half reboots they polished up a bunch of stuff and added new 
gameplay mechanisms and polish to those games. And they're really like fantastic. Like they hold up super well. And then because they're on Game Pass, I continued on to number three. And I was sorely disappointed to find that it it hadn't received that polishing treatment that the other Kiwami games had. And it, it felt dramatically different, like clunky and old school in comparison. So I was a bit disappointed by that. But that said, there's some interesting story elements. It's still set in uh, Tokyo, uh, the main part of it, but it's also partially set in Okinawa, which is very far south into the kind of the tropics of southern Japan. Uh, So totally different feel to that part of the map. You discover new places. There's a new range of characters, supporting characters. I just kind of got burnt out, I guess, in the, mm, the story and the the type of antics because they, they do tend to recycle a lot of elements, <laughs> especially in that main Tokyo area, which pretty much takes place on like four city blocks. It's like a really deep examination of those four city blocks. You can do so much. You can do way more than you can do. Density in, <laughs> yeah. You can do way more than you can do in four city blocks in grand theft auto, but Still, it's it's still four city blocks in the end, so <laughs> I got tired of it. Dropped it for a few months, and then I came back, and I realized I I guess I was just only like three or four hours till the end. So I played a couple of sessions and I finished it, and I'm glad I did. It was satisfying. Spoiler alert: you have another bare chested fist fight at the end, <laughs> but uh, it was still yakuza goodness, and it actually inspired me to maybe skip ahead, which I rarely do to the new like a dragon because yeah. i hear that one's quite a lot of fun and, and, and much more updated uh version of that series I, i've bounced off the series a couple of times they're almost a little too dense for me i just get so distracted with all the side activities that i, I i'm too much of a completionist that i get distracted and, and try and do everything and then just burn out generally yeah I, i'm very interested in trying like a dragon it's a very different focus so it's, a, it's like a turn-based game like the brawl the brawling out combat i will say didn't do much for me that sort of real-time button mashy brawl combat in the older games but the turn-based one bring a very different focus and uh, a bit of commentary like fourth wall commentary and like game design it's, so it's all referencing dragon quests so which i now have some similar uh, some familiarity with so yeah i'm, I'm, I'm glad to dig, dig into that sometime Yakuza has a special place in my heart because, you know, I kind of grew up as a Sega kid. It's a Sega published game. And in this game, you also visit Japan and you get to interact with licensed Japanese businesses and products. And arcade machines. Arcade machines, actually pixel perfect arcade renditions of various things like like Virtua Fighter. Uh, and uh, of course, crane games, like you could just waste <laughs> an hour playing the crane games, trying to collect all the little plushies uh, and just running around and having conveyor belt sushi and things like that. So it's a, it's a really fun uh, for just having that virtual tourism, but not something I need all the time. So I, I hope that Like a Dragon brings some uh, a new injection of mechanisms into into the mix and uh, uh i think kazuma kiryu for for how much play he gets on twitter you know is a little wooden uh, <laughs> but the side characters are always fun too in that series yes yeah um i'm trying to remember the um the name of the the other main fellow in that so he, he was he was he was running the i can't remember his name 
Are you talking about Majima? Like Majima, patch, yes, I, yeah. I he's, a, he's a very eccentric character in comparison to, uh, to Kiryu. <laughs> yeah, Majima is great. Like, not enough in number three, to be honest. He's only in there far too little. So another <laughs> black mark on, on that, that entry in the series. Yeah, it sounds like it's a little bit ironic in that it's being a more recent game that didn't put quite as much effort into updating it. So it's fallen in this bit of a middle ground as to how dated it might feel, unfortunately. Yeah, ho- hopefully they'll remaster it at some point since that series is kind of like a had its latter day resurgence. Yes, yeah. It's a kind of a meme game. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, I've been picking at a few other things. I've ha- having trouble focusing on any one game lately, to be honest. But as the the year end starts to loom ever closer, I've been trying to wrap up a few things that I'd started earlier in the year and sort of lost momentum on. So I'm I'm putting a bit of time back into Disco Elysium, trying to wrap that up. Uh, I'm sort of st- somewhere in the middle where I've I've sort of lost track of all these story beats up these sort of text rpgs are very hard to, to jump back in on after hiatus but the, the writing character in that is so strong that I'm, I'm pushing through so i'll have more to say on that shortly i imagine uh i've, I've picked up a little bit at overwatch 2 i was a big fan of overwatch back in the day when it, when it, when it first dropped basically for years up until it dropped off a few years ago between my daughter being born, but also some of the other issues that have come out of Blizzard since then. I still have very mixed feelings about Blizzard, but I've been poking at the new one just out of curiosity uh, to see some of the changes they've made and having fun. Uh, I'm I'm not really committing to it just yet. I'm certainly not spending any money on it, but it's uh, still a great universe of character. um, And just the moment to moment shooting is, is good fun. So, be picking it out a little bit more and the only other thing i've really been playing of note has been grounded that is a it's, it's been out for a year or two now but i think it recently hit sort of 1.0 or at least some final patch uh it's a from obsidian the the makers of fallout new vegas and other renowned rpgs but this is more of a survival crafting game something akin to like Minecraft, but the theme is basically Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. You are playing a teen uh, that's been shrunk and you're basically exploring your backyard full of ant, uh, ant nests and uh, giant towering flowers and, and um, pop cans and deadly spiders that are now like five times bigger than you. So I've, I've been having fun exploring that. It's it's very surprisingly difficult at first up. Like if you don't have a good little base by the, by the first nightfall, you're going to be struggling, and it is very dark, uh, hard to see anything. The spiders will kill you very quickly, and it's just like food and thirst meters are constantly ticking down faster than I can keep up with. So it's tricky, but it's got some good character, very sort of retro science. Yeah, I'm, I'm having having fun exploring that right now. <laughs> yeah, I played uh, about you know a couple of hours of Grounded because it was on Xbox Game Pass this whole time, but it really does seem like it's been getting a lot of buzz and even a decent amount of success on non Xbox platforms like Steam. But apparently, they've just put a ton of polish into this game hmm. leading up to it up to its launch, and uh, you know I have great deal of faith in Obsidian for their um, development pedigree uh, that they would put fun 
uh, exciting, you know, interesting gameplay mechanisms in there. So I should definitely give it a shot. It's been a few months for me, but uh, I was always intrigued by the setting and the idea. Any any kid growing up in the 80s, I'm sure, remembers <laughs> watching and rewatching Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. So uh, it's definitely a cool world and a cool theme and uh, not something done enough, you know, uh, just having non non-killing uh, multiplayer <laughs> survival game. Uh, although I guess bugs doing the killing is that's a different matter. It's it's surprisingly intense though, considering the aesthetic. It's like this wacky science hijinks, and then this giant spider just rushes out and one shots you. Or I got right. I got I got literally skewered by a mosquito, and that was pretty horrifying. Like this intense buzzing uh, before right before you get impaled. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's quite quite, quite scary. <laughs> and I think there's um arachnophobia mode where you can yes <laughs> de de arachnidify the spiders so you can make Basically them turns less into orbs, less. i think <laughs> yeah yeah they're just floating orbs which is scary in its own right i suppose <laughs> but i think that's really cool yeah yeah I'll i know, I know aaron that. from boards alive our old guest has been playing a lot of that as well and enjoying it quite a bit so yeah you can also check that out, that out on game pass yeah, for sure. That looks cool. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more about a game I played a decent amount uh, this past uh, few weeks. is called uh, Code Vein. It's a game that was on Game Pass for a while and then is off. And then I guess I just like heard enough like kind of simmering buzz about it. Uh, and I was interested in the aesthetic. It basically turns out to be a Souls-like. It's a little bit faster playing, so it's not exactly a, a Bloodborne either. But it's... it's it, the the skeleton of it is a souls like but it also has a bit of monster hunter baked in in sort of the quest structure it's the the aesthetic is kind of anime meets dark you know goth goth metal a little bit of twilight in there be honest <laughs> yeah it's it's very twee in that aspect as well with the gothic lolita like aspect of some of the <laughs> characters as well but that's just you know just being a japanese game and what i liked about it is that it's very soloable because it comes with um, more often than than not ai companions and you can you can have real life companions as well uh, through online multiplayer but i've been playing it offline and the online companions are great because you don't exactly have to watch your back for every step of the way it feels less lonely as you're exploring to have the sidekick of which you can choose from between three so far that I've been uh, playing with. It adds a new mix to it because you can kind of be standing in the back and being like a distance-based uh, class. You can change your character class on the fly and uh, you can upgrade the character classes individually. And um, once you unlock some of their skills completely by using them enough then they become available in any other class so you can sort of multi-class and tune your character uh, to the gameplay that you like and it's very very intriguing and continually intriguing that way uh, the world design is not nearly as well thought out or as lush as as a proper FromSoft game it's not not nearly to the level of Bloodborne or Elden Ring or Dark Souls 3, which is the ones I've been playing more recently. It's much more constrained than that, but I think because it plays so fast, you can just bust through it pretty quick and just get a fun, you know, kind of schlocky uh, few sessions out of it. So I've been really enjoying that. 
Excellent. I played a little bit of that and bounced off, though I don't exactly recall why. I think it was the something to do with the combat didn't quite click with me. Yeah, I think it's it's a game that gives more the more you invest into it because of, like I said, the various classes. You start with something like three or four, and then by now I have like nine or so, and that just gives you so much variety because... Like I said, you can um, mix and match those abilities from each class into, you know, really tuning the one you really like best. Excellent. Any other games you've been playing? No, I think that's just about it for me. As I said, I've, I've been bouncing around between various things. I've, I have, My attention span is, is pretty dead these days, to be honest, between the kid and other distractions. Yeah. <laughs> I totally know what you mean. I'm actually ha- happy to leave it there as well. So we can move right into our, our main section. Excellent. So well, we're going to do a little, something a little bit different uh, today, aren't we? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I have recently, I mean, I've already mentioned this episode, but I recently attended Shucks. Uh, that is the Shut Up and Sit Down Expo here in Vancouver. Uh, it's been three years with this time i think three years since since, yeah. since the last one 2018 uh, was the last uh no 2019 was it 19 yeah it was 2017 was the first one up through 2019 so there was three previously okay i guess i did attend the 2019 one <laughs> uh it's but it's still it's been my first convention in three years I, certainly my first as a content creator so it was very different perspective going into this one. So I thought we'd just uh, talk a little bit about my experiences and the games I played, obviously, but the cool people I met and yeah, lots of things to discuss around that. Right. And uh, I myself didn't attend. Uh, I had considered it, but I just wasn't feeling very comfortable with the COVID situation at the time that the ticket sales went out. So I enjoyed watching all the, the buzz and on social media along with you. But I'm sure it's it's not nearly anything like being there in person. So <laughs> uh, I'm no stranger to running an interview show on my last podcast, uh, Test Coast Games. I'm using the very same script I did for this, um, <laughs> basically a, a post shucks recap episode that we had with a panel of guests. So today uh, you're going to be uh, the panel of guests. Uh, and I'm going to uh, give you a few questions if that works for you, Daniel. Now, I'm sure I must have listened to this episode, but I'm curious who your panel would have been. Who who's your, who were your representatives of Shucks in previous years? Yeah, I think we had, you know, like the panel would be just, you know, my, my friends of the <laughs> local game design scene. Uh, of course, my uh, co-host at the time, Mark Ellis, was one of the people that attended. Uh, also, um, uh, my pal Kennedy and uh, Nick Angiers, uh, who oh, yes. has does uh, a few things around town. He does a lot of gameplay session organizing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, uh, I, I've gamed with Nick a few times at his events. Yeah, so these are familiar faces in, in the local just game design and game playing scene. So those were, uh, I believe, the guys uh, in attendance. And, of course, lots of other pals were there, like um, Marcel Perrault was there and... Uh, uh, just met some great people uh, as well. So uh, it was very nice. I, I met um, Isaac Vega, actually. I won uh, a copy of Twilight Imperium from Oh, well. <laughs> from Not him. designed by Isaac. <laughs> Not Isaac, but uh, it, at the time, he was, um, Plaid Hat was still owned by... Um, oh, of course, yes. 
uh, asthma day so mm. uh, they were giving out gifts and i was one of the lucky winners anyways sure. enough about my experiences though but i'm coming from the perspective of someone who did go to the very last one <laughs> so i'm gonna th- ask you this uh daniel so how is the venue it's the same venue it's the vancouver convention center how is it uh this year and how is uh, the organization how did that work out for you yeah, so, so it, was, it was a little bit bigger than previous years. They had a couple of the additional side rooms uh, that they uh, opened out, and they also had the 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 talk with the, the hall where they were doing the talks was also in addition in a, into a side room. So it was all a little bit, bit more spread out. Whether that was um, whether COVID was the re- the reason for that, or just they wanted more room, I'm not sure. But it did have the effect of everything being a little more spread out, which is good for multiple reasons, both noise and the the spread of COVID. You, you mentioned that uh, everyone was masked and vaccinated as a requirement. And I didn't see anyone shirking those rules. And I didn't hear a single case of anyone contracting it after the fact, which is more than I can say for about any other convention. Obviously, we're dealing with smaller numbers here, but I think that was one good takeaway. Like the, the, the COVID restrictions were, were, were well enforced, basically. And yeah, so it was, uh, it's hard to say because I, I, I feel like I've in, in some, in many regards experienced so little of this convention compared to previous years. And I didn't really go to any of the talks this time around. Uh, in, in, like, I spent a lot of time going to talks in the, the event hall last, last time, both just to decompress. Sometimes I needed that. It was a, it was a good way to just to sit quietly for an hour. And the, the, the talks themselves were fascinating. They had like designers like Isaac Vega. I remember doing, uh, there was a couple, he always has like, some really interesting ones. Uh, Jonathan Ying alongside him quite often. Uh, I can't remember in previous years, but yeah, this, this year I, I, that wasn't really my focus. So I mostly stayed in the main gaming hall and there was, which is to say most of most of the convention is the gaming hall. This isn't a acquisition focused convention. That's all uh, exhibitor booths. That's about five to ten percent of the hall space here. Most of the hall, like ninety percent, probably like eighty percent total, is just tables to play games. And not to say that it doesn't take organization. Like there's obviously a whole a library that supports that, and um, p- people manage like, volunteers running around helping coordinate everything. Uh, but yeah, it's from my perspective, everything ran very smoothly. That's another good point. Uh, a shout out to uh, a friend of the of the show, uh, Chris Morris from yes. Kelowna, <laughs> who uh, manages. I guess he like organizes at very least he transports physically the entire shucks game uh playing library from Kelowna down to vancouver every year <laughs> that it's in in the running so i don't know how he swung that job but it's it's pretty great uh effort that he puts in and uh, he's a game designer too so um shout out to him and the efforts he makes to make everyone's gameplay uh possible Yes, I, I ran into Chris various times. I n- didn't get to play a game with him, unfortunately, but uh, I, I saw him the day before as they were setting things up. I think he'd gotten up at like five o'clock in the morning to drive this, the library of games down from Kelowna. Uh, and like the, the, the evening of the convention closes at six and they're out by like 10 o'clock that night. So everything everything must go. And they, they were very efficient in, in, in getting that set up and, and, and packed up. 
Yeah, that drive is is hard enough without <laughs> driving a pallet van full of board games. So, so kudos to him. Um, so that's great to hear. Yeah, I really enjoyed Shucks for having been such a. It's also my only real uh, con experience, other than TCTC, which is great. Another just local only uh, board game playing con, but both of them are very much uh, game playing conventions, and I love that the the venue just a really massive, massive area uh, with all of those gameplay tables set up for you to uh, just do impromptu pickup games. Uh, there's that main area uh, with the entrance and then just not not too much of a, a big vendor space the time I went. How, how big was the vendor area? You said it wasn't so much vendor focused, right? Yeah, there was about 15 booths, I think, uh, a varying size and uh, a half dozen tables outside of the space where people were it was like a rotating cast of of smaller creators just showing off their games in production basically oh yeah the the indie alley right yes yeah like uh friends at steam up uh sorry no hot banana uh who who make the game steam, up, steam, steam up. up yeah they were there uh first fish uh another another local uh, oh, yeah. design L- team they're good people too yeah mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great to hear. Yeah, so that sounds very similar to what was there at last time. And then you said you spread it out. They spread it out a bit more. I remember there being the, I guess the main stage, right? There's like a main stage where the the guys recorded their episode, their live episode, which I just listened to, of course. <laughs> and that's the same stage where they have like the other big talks, I talks believe. and like game sh- live po- other live podcasts and game shows and like in- interactive games and things that they'll do like stage shows they'll do there. Yeah, but I, I in previous years I spent quite a bit of time there. This year I went there for the opening ceremony and that was it. To be honest, I to be honest, on Sunday I was I left a little early. I was so exhausted. It wasn't until I was on the bus home that I remembered that there was a closing ceremony that I had not gone to. So yeah, it was, it was a little very different not experiencing that side of things. So I, I feel like I missed out in a sense, but I was very much focused on seeing people. I, there were so many contacts I've, I have in the industry now since the last time I attended, uh, but both you know, just friends, other content creators, designers, publishers uh, that I all wanted to, to have a chance to catch up with. And that was... That was the main focus of, of this shucks for me. That totally makes sense. Everyone goes for something different in uh, an event like this. And it's great that they they support that uh, with all the different breakout rooms and different uh, areas that you can, you can uh, make use of. So that's very exciting. Uh, I'm going to ask you the next question. How was attendance overall? How was the general vibe? Was it different post-COVID? How, how was it feeling? Yes, it's hard to say. I don't have any exact numbers. Though I think the one number I heard was roughly 1,500, which feels yeah. about right. Hard to judge again because it's also spread out. Uh, and I think I think a few people, I heard a few people muttering, oh, it's less people this year. But I think it's deceiving because it was it was everything, everything that was so spaced, uh, both in the, the, the event hall being separate and just more table space. Uh, it was it was a little, little deceiving, but I, th- I think it, it certainly was was busy. <laughs> I will say that uh, everyone was gaming nonstop from every every which way I saw. So, yeah, I, I think it was doing pretty well. <laughs> Maybe the the, the, the um, demo hall, for example, it was like most of the games I wanted to try there. It was very hard to get a spot because there was demand for for those games. Nice, that's great to hear. I'm sure everyone was just 
you know, champing at the bits to to get out there and uh, re-engage in a in a con uh, environment. It's it's you know it's so different. Like I myself haven't even gone back to in in person game playing except a couple of times at your place amongst people I, I know fairly well. So it, it's just uh, I'm just not used to sitting down at the table <laughs> with, with strangers again or, or, or people I don't know so well. But it sounds like people really wanted that back. And I will say it's it's always a very welcoming community too at Shucks. I mean, I, I struggle a lot with uh, being a bit of an introvert and social anxiety, but Shucks being very much a community focused convention. It's not it's not just people who like board games. It's people who who like shut up and sit down. Generally, it's a bit a little bit of a filter. Obviously, like you'll get a lot of locals who show up anyway, and people who do just will come along regardless, one, one way or another. But generally, I, I found the community they have sort of created there to be extremely inclusive and friendly like the, the, the library will then do out balloons uh if, if you if you get if you're grabbing a game from the library and need more players or need a teacher you can set up a balloon and you can just approach people and, and ask if they've played a game and it's certainly something i've not, never felt comfortable doing at other conventions but it shucks everyone i've ended up every stranger i've sat down with and played has has been like really friendly and and accepting so it's been uh, a great environment yeah i remember inclusivity being a very welcome component of the last uh um, recap i had that uh, i believe the policy last time was that even uh, i think like kids under a certain age come free and 10 i think were free yeah yeah, which is uh, great to see because obviously you want to <laughs> raise the next generation, and then you know, like even just childcare can can be hard, right? To fit that in if you want to go for all weekend. Um, I also know that uh, yeah, kudos to shut up and sit down. Obviously, the the podcast and and video YouTubers themselves, I really appreciate them for their level of inclusivity and you know the context they they add to their video reviews. You know, social they, awareness yeah I, I don't think uh they they don't shy from tackling some serious topics when they cover you know even silly silly board games they make some great efforts and strides to make people feel um welcome uh they have like uh i think they have pronouns on badges yes you can I get the little, a, a button to add to your lanyard with uh, pronouns Right, and then you, you you mentioned the the balloons, which uh, also help people find each other from a you know like game playability perspective as well. It's just a little bit of bridge for people who might not yeah feel a bit of anxiety gaming with strangers. It was just a, yeah a, a bit of an icebreaker. I found that was that I I I found really helpful in previous years going to these conventions where I didn't know anyone. Uh, they they were a big help. That's great to hear. It's fantastic. So you said you played some games there. How was the games library? <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, what games did you end up playing? Oh, I mean, I, I don't want to go through all of them. I think it was something like 20 games all in all. I, I didn't. I, I took a few games along with me, uh, a few lighter ones that I um, this is just as sort of some filler games uh, for me found some some time downtime. Uh, and along with a couple of things that I wanted to get off my bucket list, but I only went, only got a couple of things in the library. We, we never really found that necessary, to be honest. Between the demo hall and what we had with this, the library was pretty expansive. I mean, I, I don't think I could put a number on there, but several hundred games, both from the the collective, the, the, the main shucks 
library, uh, Terminal City tabletop convention, our other local con, con here uh, loaned their library. Uh, our friend Dennis Quadrain uh, brought in several games, or in, uh, like several boxes of games from his personal collection to sort of add to the library. Uh, so yeah, there was a huge selection, old and new. There's plenty of space to browse, and you could just you, you could just look, walk through the tables of games and look yourself. You didn't, you weren't, have, weren't having to request them or anything. So that was that was fun. Sometimes just strolling through and seeing because oh, I've been trying to try this game for ages. I hadn't had a chance yet. Like uh, Yellow and Yanksy, what uh, we just recently discussed. Right. Genetic uh, cousin, I guess. To, yes. To yeah. So I, I actually did. That was the one game I borrowed from the library over the weekend and didn't actually end up playing it. But uh, I, I did. I did manage to touch a copy. I'll say that. Ah, oh, but where, where should we start? Otherwise, then. Um, yeah. What games did you end up bringing there? Yeah, so one of the the big events, uh, something I would be wanting to get off my shelf of shame. It's a little more situational and hard to get to the table. Is Cosmic Frog from uh, oh. Devious Weasel? I think his publisher James Felly is the designer. This is a game that you look at the box and it's extremely evocative, very prog rock sort of acid uh, artwork. The theme being that you were giant frogs like duking it out in the aether of the cosmos, basically eating up the hunks of land and then belching it out into your cosmic vault and fighting over it and whatnot. So over the top, but uh, you, you very unique theme that uh, uh, I've been wanting to try, Uh, but I had heard is best at six players. Well, it goes up to six and I heard it was best with more players. I played it twice, once at three and once at six. And I will say, I mean, in my experience, it was definitely better at six. But we also got a lot of rules wrong. So I, I, I don't want to speak too strongly to that. It is a little, the rules aren't the cleanest. They're set out in a very technical way, but in ways that still aren't in, always entirely clear. But we did have a lot of fun with the game. I mean, at least with the six-player game, we had a lot of fun. And it's very chaotic, very messy, and extremely unfair. Like, if you lose a battle when you're out in the aether, as it were, uh, when you're not on land, if you're just swimming through space uh, and you lose a combat, then you basically get knocked into the outer realms where you might be a couple of turns. You're just out of the game. And not not just that you can't play, but... You're now vulnerable to people stealing all of the all of the land in your vault that's giving you points. So you're both not playing the game and losing points. So that feels very unfair. But it's a game. It's, it's just it's really, even when it's like punching you in the gut, it's hard not to just feel that that very uh, evocative joy of, of, of leaning into the theme. Basically, we, we were having a lot of fun, even even when we were. Getting getting knocked down. There's, there's these unique player cards that you have, so they give you unique abilities that will very much specialize how you play the game. And these will change, like every couple of rounds, you'll get a completely new one. But they're so specialized, they kind of force you into specific roles. Like this one is like you, you might get one that's all about combat, like you you encouraging you to, to be 
going into combat with other players constantly. And so you, you might have been playing conservatively, but suddenly you've got this card that is really rewarding you for going into combat. So now you have a role, you're encouraged to fulfill it. And so that helped to shake things up a bit, I think. And rather people weren't getting stuck in, in trying to follow specific strategies that were like you, you're forced to, to play along with the cards that you're dealt basically uh, that kept, was good at keeping things fairly dynamic there's a, a random turn order as well in that there's basically a, a deck of cards that each player has three cards in this deck and you shuffle them and deal them out randomly. And that dictates when you get your turn. So you might get three turns all in once. You might go like everyone might get a couple of turns before you get another one. So you don't know how long it's going to be till you have another turn, which is really adds to this level of tension especially when you leave yourself in a vulnerable state, you don't know, you, you don't know how long it's, it's going to be till you have another turn. So yeah, it, it's very um, tense trying to decide how much, how risky you, you want to be basically. So yeah, very, very unfair and, and messy and chaotic, but in, in an extremely fun way. <laughs> now that's interesting. That reminds me of uh, a mechanism for doing turn order from a game called, what's it called? It's a deck building game. Aeon, called, Aeon's uh, End. Aeon's End. I think that's right. Yeah. Which I think I played at Last Shocks, actually. <laughs> well, that's cool. Yeah. So there, there must be like some constraint as to that you do get to play after a certain point, right? It's not. Uh, well, you the deck once like the deck runs out. So within a round, within within that deck, you are going to get three turns. It just they might all be at the beginning, then they all be at the end, or they might be spread across. So you all get an equal number of turns or the same number of turns it'll, it'll just be distributed randomly <laughs> got it yeah that does sound similar to aeon's end except uh, each basically each round you just shuffle the players playing including the enemy ai right yes. and then they will play at various random uh, points during the round but that does sound cool um yeah cosmic frog i'd heard of it uh, and it certainly looks intriguing from the box art but i i, I i'll tell you honestly i can't think of a theme that's less approachable <laughs> than cosmic space frogs because i don't know what type of game that is uh you know i don't know what i'm doing i don't know why i should be interested in being a cosmic frog or fighting cosmic frogs <laughs> or anything like that so that's why i never approached that game before but uh from how you described it it does sound kind of wild and interesting very interactive uh it's essentially ostensibly a combat game combat sort of arena battler uh but you're collecting resources that you can steal from each other essentially but it's a little more con it's a little more complicated than it probably needs to be that for what is really a pretty not to say a simple but it's a fairly straightforward core mechanic in terms of you know collect these resources fight other frogs but a lot of a lot of weird rules layered on top of that that make it quite very strange dreamlike experience. <laughs> right, it sounds very psychedelic. And, <laughs> yeah, probably somebody's passion project that they eventually got published. Yes, absolutely. Sounds cool. Any other fun surprises that you played? Uh, any new to you games? Uh, it's a couple of the other big event games I'll stay focused on for now. So. On the first day there, I got roped into a game that I, I was asked to play and t turned down because I didn't really think it was my cup of tea. And then 
I was I was convinced when on the day of they 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 bit my arm, uh, and that is sidereal confluence. Mm, that's that's a game. I know. It's been a popular one at previous shucks, uh, but they've since come out with the new edition. Uh, that old game was the old version was an extremely dull looking uh, box and and game components. I will say, yeah. uh, very did, did, purple, as I recall. Yes, but this is this is the new edition uh, artwork by uh, Quanchai Maria, but the artwork doesn't really play much into the game. I will say so. That was probably a, a little more surface level than I was expecting. But so this is a, a negotiation trade in game, which is like I I cannot stand negotiations generally. I hate having to improvise strategy and sort of sell my case and and like it's hard enough to come up with a strategy for myself let alone sell a strategy to someone else. <laughs> uh, and so this is basically all about having to trade resources with other players and negotiate deals all in real time, I will add. Uh, but um, board game spam, Andrew and Pia, I was uh, playing some games with and they, they they bit my arm to give this a, game, a try. And it was with them, uh, Board Game Barrage, several of the guys from that podcast, and Chase from Runner Man Games, a, a designer I was uh, playing a few, few games with. So we all settled in for, what's that? It was a six-player game. Yeah, I, I surprisingly liked it in that it's, it's basically you're trading different colored cubes. You've, you've, got, you've got these cards in front of you that will let you put one, cubes of one color in to get other colored, slightly, slightly better cubes. But you don't, you, you don't have the right colors that you need to feed your engine and neither does anyone else. So you basically have to come up with, you have 10 minutes to, to make trades to get the cubes you need and, and they'll get the cubes they need essentially. But it, it's all playing out so quickly that it, it really behooves like just quick and dirty trades. Like it's not like you have to sell a strategy. Oh, why it's a good idea to, to give me these two white cubes. Now I, I have cubes you want, you have cubes I want. It's a very mutually beneficial trade agreement it's easy to make or and you can also just because especially if you're playing with six players try it on one person they don't like the trade okay just go to the next person and offer them that same trade <laughs> so you don't really invested in one specific trade happening or not you can just throw throw several trade suggestions out there see what sticks uh and so i i felt that uh that, that sort of alleviated a lot of my anxiety coming in that it wasn't uh quite what i was expecting so had quite a lot of fun with that i was playing the the space wasps uh, that I believe they basically chew up all these resources and use their, their wasp spit to create planets. So I'm trying, I'm trying to sell, sell people planets made of wasp bit. <laughs> yeah. As I recall, shut up and sit down has a pretty decent uh, video review of sidereal confluence first yes. edition. Uh, it covers it pretty well. I played this game twice in person i believe and i really really enjoyed both times i played it and i would i would play it again at the drop of a hat if anyone mentioned it so i have a good feeling about this game it's got some rough edges to be certain hopefully they've smoothed some of those over in the new edition i only ever played the first edition but yeah it it is a very exciting game uh i you know, I don't avoid negotiation games, but I don't seek them out either. I think they're totally fine. Uh, you know, it has a similar weight of a game like, uh, uh, what is it, Keyflower or something like that. Like, it's all about 
collecting resources and converting them. Mm. But while, whereas Keyflower is very slow and staid and very clockwork in its uh, sequences, this game is very wild and raucous and exciting. And it's sort of (laughs) like if you can imagine trading stocks on you know, the New York Stock Exchange floor in the 1980s or something like that, where you have brokers just yelling and buying and selling and trading like actual uh, actual things on a floor by writing on pieces of paper. It's It's got that sort of scrum feel <laughs> to it. And, uh, you know, you, you just can't recreate that very easily. So in that sense, it's unique within the board game, gaming space or... If not unique, it's it's unique in this sort of genre where it's not like it's not like an, a, another negotiation game like diplomacy where it's all based on war. It's just sort of like like the war of negotiating economies <laughs> almost. Because each each faction that you're playing is asymmetrical. They each they each specialize in one thing or another. Like I was very good at making planets that I could then sell to other players, and they some of, some of them were good at. Um, producing certain cubes. Like one of them was really good at making the wild cubes. One was really good at making the ships that you can use to, to bid. And I mean, at least at least at a low level play, you don't really know what everyone else is capable of. Uh, you don't know what their strengths are. You just know what resources they have. So it, you, you, you're, you're offering them something that's, that's really quite easy for you to get, to, 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 to get and they're giving you resources that's hard for you to get you, you both you come both come out feeling like you got the better deal almost because you don't right. know what you don't know you don't know what's of that i mean everything is has a different value to different players based on what your abilities are and so no it was very i mean it helps that no one at the table was being like particularly shark-like but generally speaking everyone came away you know feeling good about the trades yeah, that's that that creates that sort of dyna- dynamism I was mentioning is that asymmetry of it all. And as I recall the some of the cards in that game because you know your powers are based off of these cards uh have an interesting case where some of them have like obligatory trades where you have to get rid of this at the end of the round. So, it's no skin <laughs> off your back who it goes to. Uh so you have to give it away, but who it goes to is still an inter- interesting choice because that becomes the fodder for a trade that you sort of have to make. But who it goes to, you can favor this person this round or this person another round. And mm. that makes for interesting dynamics there. I like it. Yeah. You, you find little um, loops within the game. Like you'll find a particularly good trade uh, trade loop between one of the playoffs with the, they, they, have, they have a resource they get easily that you really need. And so each round you'll keep going back to them and, and like, oh, this, this deal worked last time. Let's try that again. And so you have these little uh, f- sort of evolving relationships that you'll, you'll find as the game goes on. Nice. Yeah. If I had a big regular group I played with, I'd totally buy a copy of that. That's very cool to hear. How about another game that impressed you or left uh, uh, occupied your time there? Yeah. So I think that was that were the, the big event games outside the demo hall they were just like i played a bunch of games with friends um just in the general gaming area but mostly smaller games let me just quickly scan over here oh that's right there's one more i want to talk about an older game that i I managed to try that is hansa teutonica a bit of a i mean it's not that old i guess it's only 2012 2015 or something like early early 2010s 
Uh, but it's it feel it, it certainly looks a lot like a, a classic Euro from the nineties, pushing beige cubes around a, a, a map of a European city. <laughs> but it's it's a lot more player interaction from what I was expecting. Because you're, you're basically putting cubes onto a board to form routes, something akin to Ticket to Ride. The trick here being that you, if, if, a, if a route is incomplete, like it might take two or three turns to have enough cubes on the board to complete a route. But while it's incomplete, other players cannot just also play cubes that same route, but they can boot your cubes off the board uh, and replace them. Now it does cost, they, there is a cost to that. Uh, they have to pay additional cubes to do so, but it really creates these, these these fascinating dynamics where you might put cubes down onto a track you, you don't even want, but you're just getting in the way of someone else and making them pay more to go there in turn. Uh, so a lot of the like you could play quite defensively and, and aggressively in, in in different ways. There was a, a, a little bit of um, not quite engine building, but there's there's various tracks that give you abilities that you're improving over the course of the game like visiting certain locations will let you uh upgrade these abilities almost sort of terraforming mystica style where there are there are cubes on the board and so by getting increasing this ability you both add a new cube to your to, to the pool that you can use but you've also uncovered an ability on your board that that powers up that that effect uh, so yeah, it was, it was, it was I, I really enjoyed that game. We did have a couple of rules issues, like things that weren't clarified till sort of halfway through that would have made a few strategies not as powerful as they should have been. But what I did see of it, that left me really fascinated and wanting to explore that game a lot more. Yeah, Hansa Teutonica, I've never played it, but it does have a bit of a legendary quality to it and it's certainly some game a game that i would like to play uh, it's not on any of the platforms i'm i'm aware of uh, maybe it's on tabletopia and i yeah i'd like to try and get a game of that in some time it, you do need at least three people though got it well i'm sure we can uh, snag someone to play that with us so that would be fun yeah yeah i would i'm definitely interested in that one yeah, so I mean, I'll probably cap it there with in terms of um, what I played outside of the demo hall. I've obviously got a few things inside of there to talk about, though. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, let's talk about um, let's talk about the demo hall then. What were some of the highlights that you saw there? I circled through the demo hall multiple times, both just wanting to talk to some of the people I knew there. Uh, I got to meet the team at Flat Out Games, or at least um, Molly and Sean. I met there. Uh, Cody at Jellyfish Games, another uh, sort of Washington uh, design outfit. And yep. yeah, so mostly I was largely just circling around, ch- ch- chatting to people and the, the booth was so busy. It, it took obviously took a couple of times to to actually get a chance to sit down and play a lot of these games. And some were just doing like little demonstrations rather than, than full games. So uh, one game, the first one I actually played was uh, from a local designer, Quinn Brander, and he's coming out with a new game called Rebuilding Seattle. If, if you if you've visited Seattle as I, as I have, you you may have done the the obligatory tourist tour down there about how the uh, the city was destroyed in the fire and it was you know was was rebuilt and, and redesigned, and this is basically simulating that with a, a tile playing game that i thought was pretty neat it's coming up by uh whiz kids actually i think early next year which is a pretty you know high profile uh publisher obviously 
Uh, so excited for him with that. But and then the game I I quite enjoyed. So it's 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 a dual laying sort of tile layer. So you have these little plots of land that you're you're laying out in the grid, and then you're putting sort of these tromino pieces on top of that. And so you have like there are symbols on the lower uh, suburbs that you might want to cover up or not cover up, as it were. So you're trying to be both selective in how you lay those out. It's sort of competing levels of, of planning as you as you lay these different rows. Uh, you're as as you place these tiles out, you're raising your sort of influence in various tracks. There's like several industry tracks you're basically increasing, and some will give you more money, some will give you more victory points, some will make it easier to. Uh, draw more tiles. Uh, there's, there's there's three tracks, but there's I think five or six different types of tiles that are all affecting the game in various ways. And you're drafting these cards that will it's it's quite interesting in that they'll give you a benefit in one area, but increase your influence in another area. So it's, you can never really just focus on one. You you pull a lever and it moves something elsewhere in the game. Uh, so, which really does give this feel of like everything is connected. You, you can't just focus on trains and it'd be all about trains. You, ha- you have to have a, a diversified uh, suburb when you build when you're rebuilding the city. So, uh, some cool thematic touches there. Uh, there's these cards. I think six cards each round that you can choose any time, but it can only be chosen by one person basically. So at some point during your turn, you can choose one of these six cards and but then it's done for the round. And so that adds a, an interesting layer of interaction where like it is like each, each of them is focused generally around an, an income for one of the, the different types of, of building. And so if, if you grab one before someone else, you might be cutting off their income for that type of building uh, or you might force the round to end prematurely before someone else can can fire off their engine because once once those cards have all been revealed round ends and you do you, you clean up and there's only three rounds so it can go fairly quickly yeah i i really enjoyed that some nice um, little i'm sure there's some nice touches uh for those who are familiar with seattle i saw a few people glad to see their their suburbs represented <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I happen to know Quinn Brander uh, from the local game design scene here. He's a member of the Game Artisans of Canada group, which I um, I, I attended a number of meetings there. Uh, some other people, uh, some other local uh, designers like Jake Cormier uh, belong to that group, and uh, they uh, it's basically it's for game industry professionals to bring their games, uh, their game prototypes in. So if I've actually play tested uh, rebuilding Seattle at least twice. Oh, excellent. And uh, it's like literal uh, scrap paper <laughs> prototype versions. And I, I like to think I had a little, a little part in making it come to life. So I'm very <laughs> uh, vicariously proud <laughs> to hear that it was on display there. And uh, actually, I played a couple games with Quinn uh, the last time at, at the last Shucks that I attended as well. So it's great to see him make such success there. And of course, others, other Vancouver designers are just kicking butt. Maybe not Absolutely. as much as the Seattle designers <laughs> are, but uh, catching up. So that's fantastic to see. I would love to see the final product. I really like kind of the, it's, there's a sort of, 
Feast for Odin style, like Tetrisathon. Yes, uh, I actually was going to make the comparison to too with the the, the dual layer um, tiles. It did remind me a little bit of a Feast for Odin. Yeah, it, it, that acts, that aspect of the game sort of weirded me out, and, and it felt <laughs> sort of like secondary. But by the time I played the prototypes more in full, I realized how it's a pretty critical component to the game, and um, a yeah, really nice I, I, do, I will say the the first game it didn't it wasn't really clear from the get go why certain elements were important. And it's only after you see the arc of the whole game that you realize, oh, this symbol, covering up this symbol was actually crucial because of X Y Z. So yeah, that's, I, that's right. It is a game that will, will play better on a second time, I imagine. Yeah, the mechanisms sort of feed back on each other, which you mm. know is the mark mark of an interesting game. Yep. Yep. Uh, speaking of Jay Cormier, though, I, I, I also saw him. He was showing off. Um, he hit a booth for Harrow off, off, off the page off the page games. Yep. I believe yeah, his publishing publisher. company. Yeah, he was he was showing off Harrow County, which is on Kickstarter right now, I believe. So I saw a little demonstration of that. I didn't get to try it, but it certainly looks fascinating. I play tested that one as well. Oh yeah, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've I play tested that one at least three times, as I recall. Uh, very intriguing. A very intriguing yeah, multi-asymmetrical uh, two-player game, which is a bit of a niche that I don't know I have a space for, but I'm I'm certainly intrigued by the concept. <laughs> yeah, I liked it a lot. It, it's uh, it's definitely something to get wrap your brain around. It's sort of somewhat similar to like a, a lane-based like MOBA style, or there's even lane-based uh, CCGs nowadays. Like there's that Elder Scrolls one, and then there was that ill-fated Richard Garfield uh, um, artifact, I believe it was called. Oh, it was a lane-based yeah. CC digital CCG that, that he had. But it's not a CCG, although there are cards involved and there is terrain involved. And there's basically like three maps, as I recall, and there's, there's different conditions on each. And you kind of have to track success in multiple ones, I think. Uh, it's it's pretty hazy in my recollection, but <laughs> I thought it was a really intriguing blend of mechanisms I'd seen in some digital games moved into a very much like well-crafted desk tabletop game mm-hmm. as well. So I'd like to see where that game has developed as well. Yeah, I only got a very, very, very brief overview, but uh, n- enough to have me intrigued. <laughs> I'll say that. Nice. Um, so that was in the prototype stage or the the pre-production yes age? yeah because it, it's going to kick started now so it's not sort of final production just yet right. it was it was looking very like the, the artwork is is complete it's it's the same artist as the original comic which i've not read but i have been planning to <laughs> uh so the other one of the, let's see what are the other games i actually played uh one that i was certainly very excited to try is to breeze by randy yes. flynn designer of cascadia uh, being published by Crafty Games and coming to Kickstarter very soon. And that was being demoed by my friend Joe, uh, Phantom Meeple, another, another streamer out there. Uh, right. So I had the chance to try that with five players, I think it was. And it reminds me a lot of, it's, a, it's an interesting mix of, say, Century Spice Roads, like the, the, the collecting resources and then upgrading those into higher sort of better resources and to, to fulfill contracts 
So it has an element of that with, say, like something like Istanbul, the more spatial elements of moving around a market and each one having slightly different mechanics as to how you gain these resources. So you've got three workers that you can move around this market independently of each other. But like each round, you you move each you you move your three workers once each each round. But they can't go to the same location. So if you want to go, if you want to reuse a location, you have to move one worker out and move another one in. So that there were some clever ways that you had to stagger your your workers, and that's the very spatial elements and in, in moving them around. And yeah, I, I I really enjoyed it. The yeah, I wouldn't exactly call it market manipulation because like the prices don't go up and down, but the the, the way the markets feel each round. Uh, like you, you put X number of resources in each market location each round and the price will differ based on how many are there essentially. But in a five player game, these resources were disappearing very quickly. Like it doesn't really change. Like the same number of resources get pulled out regardless of the, of the number of players. So it felt like at five, everything was disappearing so quickly is that you didn't have a lot of choices to where you could go. Uh, so it was a very tight game, and I feel like I'd, I'd, I'd like to try it with three or four to get a, a better experience. But this, this, I can certainly see where there's opportunities for, for some clever play in and how you um, form these little engines in like collecting these resources, upgrading them. You get increasing number of um, uh, what do you call it contracts to fulfill. Like there's, there's certain different tiers of contracts. And you can choose to focus on like fulfilling the easier ones for less points, or going big for the, the 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 harder to complete ones. And I think the the winner ended up being someone who just focused on the on the on the basic contracts and just got a whole bunch of those and fulfilled them every round. So there's certainly a few options in as to how you can approach this one. Very cool. Well, I'm excited to play this follow-up of the award-winning Cascadia Designers <laughs> game. Uh, I also like those related, at least thematically similar games you're mentioning, like Century Spice Road and um, Istanbul, because this uh, Tabriz is based on like carpet trading. Is that right? Yes. That the yeah. Um, the, the 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 market in Tabriz itself is very much focused on on, on rugs, carpets, and rugs. I think. Uh, but yeah, I, I I I'm not a big fan of those those games, to be honest. But this one feels less abstract. There's like there's much more of a spatial element as you're moving around and trading with these specific places. So it, it it very it feels much more thematic than those games. I will say. We we've covered a lot of games, but I I think I saw on social media that you even brought a few more games home. So did you make any game acquisitions and and tell us what spoils you brought home? Well, as I said, it's, it's not a it's not a particularly uh, acquisition focused convention. Like there are there are always a few things for sale, uh, but it, it's by far the folk. It's not really the focus of, of this. It was, mo- it was it was mostly the smaller publishers that were selling things. To be honest, and I bought, I picked up a few things largely to support them. Uh, I mean, I already mentioned I got my 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 copy of Keystone personally hand delivered by Isaac Vega. Uh, so it was great to meet Isaac. We had a, we had a little um, it was a coffee uh, little morning tea coffee uh meetup <laughs> one morning i got uh far away by cherry picked games uh I, i'll keep it brief but it's a two-player co-op survival game that has some really cool role-playing elements that you're sort of leaning into 
playing your character and how, rules about how you can communicate. Like you can't talk to your your companion if you're not in the same space as them, basically. Uh, and they only played like a demonstration of that, um, just a, a, a round or two. But it, was, it left a good impression, and the the team there were really friendly. So I picked up a copy of that to check out. Uh, I got Tales from the Loop from uh, Free oh, League. Yeah. The, the is a board game based on the, uh, the, the RPG, on the RPG right? system. Yeah, I'm 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 a big fan of the Simon Stalhag uh, art sort of universe that he's created based that it's based on. And yeah, what about friends? Made an, they made an Amazon show of that too. Oh yes, yeah, I've only sort of seen a little bit of the show. Uh, but one of my, one of our friends is is very into the board game, so I, I have a copy of that. And also from from Free League, I got the Vason RPG. It's very much sort of gothic, supernatural research, like folk creatures, basically. You, you play these supernatural researchers. A uh, little, little bit of sort of like something like Hellboy in, in sort of globetrotting, looking for these, these random creatures and things. Uh, but more of a gothic tone, I guess. So I'm, I'm, I'm keen to, to take a look at that sometime. Great. Well, you know how to pick them. They're, those sound like some interesting <laughs> options. I am particularly intrigued in, in Keystone, so I'd like to have a crack at that if you're trying to get set up a game session. But as I understand it, you have a little um, trip uh, planned uh, for your future. Isn't that right? Yes, yes. So I'm actually returning to Australia for the first time in six years. Uh, I, keep, I keep forgetting uh, how many. It's, it's been quite a while. <laughs> um, certainly the first time since my daughter's been born. So a lot of family to catch up with. Uh, so only, so we're only going for a couple of weeks, but some, a lot of planning is going into that. So that's going to keep me busy for a little while, both in terms of playing games and also the next episode of, of the show, most likely. That's always exciting to have a long trip like that. But I think as you hinted, the next episode is probably going to be a bit of a different special episode as well. The plan so far is it's requiring a little bit more coordination. I'm reaching out to some people. So let's suffice it to say we're going to be covering a mystery board game with (laughs) a special guest from our uh, friends of the show and local community here. So I'm going to provide some information on that soon on the social media channel and we'll get that recorded and we'll carry on as usual because show must go on game must get played on omni gamers club well i'm excited to be able to listen to the show for once and i'm I'll, i can um cue that up for the the plane ride home most likely <laughs> yeah absolutely i'll try my best to get it uh, recorded and edited and posted uh mid-trip so you, you got that listening material on that long flight <laughs> excellent very cool. Well, thanks so much for giving us the recap uh, on Shucks. I feel like uh, the second best thing to being there is that uh, you told me all about it, and I get to play the games that you brought home. Yeah, I, I, so I only mentioned half the half the the cool experiences that I had there. Um, I mean, I played a lot more games, but also I want I should I should say like the big focus for me was on on the people this time. Like so many amazing people in the community that I finally had the chance to meet. Uh, Kovre, our previous guests, I got to meet them and played a few games. Uh, Beth Sobel, the artist, was a delight. Uh, Cardboard Kid and family, um, who I'm I'm forgetting several people. I already mentioned Joe, um, Phantom Eagle, Board Game Spam, Isaac Vega. Yeah. uh, 
so yeah so, so many amazing people um and that, that that's really what this is about is like the games are just there to facilitate meeting all these amazing people so that, that was a great experience i'm very glad to hear that you had an opportunity to meet those folks and who knows perhaps we might be including some of those people we mentioned in a future episode of the omni gamers club stay tuned <laughs> very cool so with that we'll bid you adieu for this uh, episode and stay tuned because there'll be more exciting things to come on the board game table or screen controller or vacuum cleaner for playing those games <laughs> or vacuum cleaner because vacuum cleaners are the new hotness <laughs> all right thanks mark see ya and bye. bye thanks for listening everyone